you'd grab a Bible, let's, uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. I have been really excited this entire week to get to share this passage with you, and I only have coffee flowing through my veins, so let's get right to it. There in verses uh, 18 uh, through 25, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. I'm just going to say what we're all thinking. And that is, Paul is that relative that at every family gathering, no matter what you're talking about, they bring it back to the same story that they told at the last family gathering. And the family gathering before that, and the family gathering before that. At just the point... In Romans, where we feel like we're kind of okay, we're, we're on the other side of things. We've been talking about sin. We've been talking about death. We've been talking about how bad the world is and how screwed up we all are. And so finally, Paul gets to the point that we talked about last week that Pastor Ed showed us that we are adopted. We are adopted sons and daughters of God and how amazing that is. Yes, Finally, there we are. We can move on. We can talk about this and how great it is. And then Paul, like that relative that always comes back to the same thing, says, wait, 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 wait. Let's go back and talk about suffering again. It's like, come on, man. Why do we have to keep bringing up suffering into this? Why, what is Paul's deal? Can't we talk about something new for a change? We already covered this. We've already covered this a lot. If you just go back, I don't know, like six months ago, who knows when we were in chapter 5 of Romans, but like it was a while ago. But we talked about this at the beginning of chapter 5. We talked about the way the world works and how this is a part of the world and we just kind of have to deal with it. And as much as we say it doesn't feel fair, it doesn't feel right, that's not going to change anything. And so we have to come to grips with the reality that we live in. And so we hammered that in. We, we, We digested that hard truth. And so it's like, okay, man, let's move on. And Paul keeps coming back and he says, yeah, but suffering's still there. It feels frustrating to us because this isn't the way we think. This isn't the way we write. We're, you see, in our modern world, we're very linear in our thinking. We're very linear in the way we write and the way we make points. We, we, we build a case. And once we've covered it, move on. People keep telling me that about the way I preach. Once you've covered it, man, just move on. Like, stop talking about it still. But that's not the way they wrote or they talked in the ancient world. You see, they, they, they did this thing called chiasm. It was this, this huge thing. And the idea was you started with an idea and, and you built up to it in the middle is where you made your point. And then you made all those points again to 
prove your point that you've already made. And so what you actually did was you ended up covering the topic twice. And, and what we're doing is we're coming to the end of this big section, this big point that Paul's been making, starting in chapter 5, ending here in chapter 8. We're going to see the very end of it next week, where Paul says he's made the point that we all suffer. And so making the point, his main point about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, he walks it back out. And he says, so this now is what suffering and pain looks like. For those that have Jesus Christ. He's wrapping up his point. So as much as it might feel like Paul's kind of just rehashing old stuff, he's making a huge point. And we don't want to miss it. He says there in Romans 8.18, as we just start, he says, The sufferings of this present time. Paul says, I do not consider the present sufferings that we are all going through. Paul assumes you're suffering in your life. And maybe you don't feel like it at the moment, but he says you're suffering. Maybe in ways that aren't as profound, you're suffering. Things are not the way that they should be in some area of your life. And even if you don't feel it that profoundly right now, you've felt it very profoundly before. And maybe the reason you don't feel it so much now is because your suffering in the past has been so great. Or you're going to feel it greatly more more so than you do now in the future somewhere. You're going to suffer, Paul says. Again, we've talked about this already, so let's move on. He says it doesn't matter what you believe. He doesn't say, he's not talking about suffering for Christians. He doesn't say now because you believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer. He says everything suffers. That's his reasoning for bringing creation into this discussion. Why does he talk about creation suffering? Why does he talk about creation groaning? Because he's saying, if you are part of creation, which, guess what, we all are, you're going to suffer. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter the wise choices you make. You're going to deal with pain in your life. This is Paul's point for speaking about creation being subjected there in these verses. It says all creation has to deal with the effects of human sin. Talk about an unfair deal. The animals did not screw it up. We did, but they have to deal with it. The created order did not screw it up. We did, but they have to deal with it. Paul says that the reason that we see decay and death in the world around us is because of the things that we have done. The reason that we have to deal with things like tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to deal with tornadoes here. We'll have to deal with it in Illinois. But tornadoes, because, because suffering, pain is now a part of everything. Here's the tough part of that message. That suffering is a way of life. That decay is inevitable. It's that we live in what science calls a closed system. What's a closed system, you ask? I could explain it, but I'll go to somebody a whole lot smarter than me, Wikipedia. (laughs) Wikipedia says that a closed system is a physical system that doesn't allow the transfer of matter in or out of the system. What does that mean? In layman's terms, what you have is all you get. 
It's the same idea that once I make my kids lunch, it's a closed system. What they have is all they get. Don't come back asking me for more treats, something else. What's on your plate is what you're eating. And if you don't eat it, if you screw it up, if you drop it on the floor, you're not getting anything else. There is no influx here. There is no transfer of matter between the systems. Your plate is your closed system. Deal with what you've got. This is the idea of our ecosystem, our, our, our entire world, the created order inside our world on planet Earth is a closed system. What we have is what we get. And so the idea, let's just take water for example, we only have so much water. It's not coming from anywhere else. We have a closed system. And so once it's used up, for good or bad, that's what you've got. There are finite resources in closed systems, and when they're used up, they are gone. This is why recently so much talk is being given to space travel, beyond just simply Jeff Bezos trying to take you know, tourists in space and get money from that. But space travel and that, like we know that at some point we're going to have to go outside our system to get the things we need and bring them back into our system. Because it seems like the way things are going, we're going to kind of use up everything we've got here, right? We're going to need an influx into the system with resources that we need to survive that is not natural. This is the true pain of suffering and decay in our world. That because we do live in a closed system, when we lose something, we cannot get it back. If you've suffered great loss in your life, you know that all too well, right? You have had someone or something that has meant so much to you and you have lost them. And there is nothing you can do to get them back. It was a finite resource. And now it's gone. And we all have these points in our life where it feels like we only have everything to lose. We have the family we've desired. And so now that's something to lose. We have the job we've so desperately wanted, and so now that's something to lose. Some of us are blessed enough to know it in the moment that we're at that place, to appreciate what it is we have, but to also fear losing it. Some of us, though, we don't know it until we've lost it. Maybe the saddest words that anyone can ever say is, I didn't know how good I had it. I didn't realize how amazing it was. And now that I do, I've lost it, and there's no getting it back. Paul says this is what life is like for all of creation. That there is present suffering that we all feel, that we all live through. But he says there's something else. He says that he doesn't consider these present sufferings even comparable to what does he say there? The glory that is to be revealed to us. 
This is an important word here, but it's not glory. Usually, this is where everybody runs because glory sounds pretty great, doesn't it? So what is this glory? What does that glory look like? I mean, let's just talk about painless, you know, you know, you know golden streets and, you know, diamond lakes and all that kind of stuff, right? Let's talk about what glory looks like because glory is what our hearts desire. That is what we want. People have focused on glory since the beginning of time. And so if that's where your mind runs, don't be mad about it. Don't be sad about it. Don't feel guilty about it. You're human. From the very beginning of time, this has been the thing. Look back at Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. It says there, as the serpent comes to Eve, it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and then it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, to give her something that she did not already have, to be an influx into her system. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. To Eve, what glory sounded like, the thing that she needed that was beyond her was to know and decide for herself what was good and what was evil and not having to depend on God. Just a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 11, we're told that with the Tower of Babel that these people come from the east and they come together and they realize the ability that they have when they're united and they say, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Do you get what they're saying there? They're saying we live in a closed system and so let's create a way to break out of the world that we live in and bring ourselves into the midst of glory. That's exactly what they're trying to do. And if you go through scripture, every chapter after is about people trying to work their own way to glory and not being able to. We have been, since the beginning of time, trying to figure out how to travel to other planets so that we can bring back the resources that we so desperately need. But the important word that Paul mentions isn't glory. It's the word revealed. I do not consider these present sufferings worth comparing to the present glory that is going to be revealed to us. Paul explains this a little bit more thoroughly in another place as he writes his letter to Titus. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's a few things to pick up on here that Paul's saying. The first is this. He says, it has appeared to us. Not by works. Not by what we have done or what we have taken for ourselves. Our ingenuity, our craftiness. But it has come to us. For all of your meddling, for all of your working, for all of your trying to break out of the system that you live in, guess what? It hasn't worked, but it's appeared to you. The second thing is, Paul says, poured out. It has been poured out. God has broken into our world through the person of Jesus Christ. We no longer live in a closed system because of what God has done. And here's the amazing thing. Because of it, we now have this thing in our world, this resource that never existed before. And the word for it that Paul uses here in Titus is mercy. Mercy is now a part of the world that we live in because God himself has come into our world, not because we've made our way to him. And the amazing fact of it is as we look at this idea of suffering and, and what that now looks like because of Jesus Christ, the, the reason why mercy is, is such, a, such an incredible thing that God has brought is because mercy now means the restoration of what is broken, where before broken just meant broken. It means getting more time than you deserve because before you had to take time and use time and it was the vital resource and yet now, guess what? You have eternity. It means being given what you have not valued enough. Getting another shot at it. It is being given what you have not had. And it keeps being given to you more and more and more. Your life no longer is simply what you have at the beginning to spend wisely. And once you spend it, it's gone. Because of God, you have infinite resources. That's an amazing thing. You have more love today than you had yesterday. And you will be able to love better tomorrow. Why? Because God in his mercy keeps pouring out upon you day after day after day. The ability to love well and to love better. It's not just simply that we have new resources that are infinite in supply. But we have new resources that are infinite in scope. They broaden our horizons. You cannot love too many people. You, you, you cannot give yourself away too much. Why? Because God keeps filling you up with more ability to give yourself away, more than you ever thought you could. You cannot be spent doing what God wants you to do in your life. This is an amazing thing. He has broken in and is pumping in new possibilities into our system. It's, it's, I mean, not to get too political here, but it's a pipeline. It's a pipeline that God has set up. And, and, and he's feeding this in. And it's just like pouring all over the place. 
And we can't believe how much there is, but what's more is we can't believe the places it takes us and what it does in our life. This is the power of God. This is what Jesus Christ has done. And this is why Paul is talking about suffering. Because he says, now that we know Jesus, suffering and the suffering that grips us and the suffering that leads to fear does not compare with what God is doing, what he has revealed to us. And so because of that, the fact is, the one truth that we should always carry in our hearts, no matter where we are at in our life, is simply that with Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. The good old days are not a thing when you know Jesus. Because he is taking you somewhere better and greater than where you have come from. The best is always right around the corner because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Whether it's your life, whether it's the church, and as hard as it is to believe even our world, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. It doesn't mean it won't be hard. It just means it's going to be better. This word that Paul uses... And verse 18 for revealed is the Greek word apocalypto. It's where we get the word apocalypse. And when we talk about apocalypses, we're talking about the end of something, right? And so what Paul is saying is, guess what? Because of Jesus, your end is glory. That's where you end up. Because of Jesus, the church's end is glory. For as bad as it seems, the church is changing and it's falling apart and and, and what church has been in our culture is crumbling all around us. Guess what? It's going to be better because of Jesus. For as much as it feels like our world is falling apart and everything that we know and the things that we've depended on and, and there's war and there's rumors of war and famine and earthquakes and disasters, guess what? It's going to be better. Why? Because of Jesus. The best is yet to come. That is the foundation of our life. It is the solid footing that we need. It may not feel like it now. It may not feel like it to you today. I guarantee it doesn't feel like it for most of us. But it is the truth, and we need to know that in our hearts. And so if it feels like your best days are behind you, it's a lie. If you feel like everything is pain and loss and you're suffering, I, I know I, that is real. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But just know God is doing something great. The best is yet to come and don't lose sight of that hope. If it feels like everything is just the memory of what you've lost, we'll just hang on to that thought for a second. You're not alone if you feel that way. That's what Paul says in verses 22 through 24. Look look there again. He he says, um, for we know that the whole creation, all of creation has been groaning together. You're not alone. All of creation feels this way. In the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. All creation groans. All creation feels as though things are not right. 
All creation has this sense that it is not living up to the full potential that God has created it for. And so that pain and loss that you're feeling in your life right now, guess what? Creation feels that way because it's not supposed to be that way. You're not alone. You're not walking through your suffering by yourself. But what's more, if you are, if you are part of the body of Christ, you're going to feel it more. He says, not only creation, but we ourselves with the first fruits of the Spirit. And so what Paul means by that confusing phrase is that those of us who know God also know how things are supposed to be, and so we feel it even more in our soul when things are not the way that God wants them to be. By be, Look, you're going to suffer whether you believe in Jesus or not, but if you believe in Jesus, you're going to feel it more because it's going to break your heart when things are not the way that God wants them to be. We feel it more dip, deeply. And, and so what that does is it pushes us to empathize, to care enough to, to, to listen, to not talk, but to listen. And then, and then in hearing how, how people and, and the world around us is not in line with God's will, it, it pushes us to go beyond just simply listening and empathizing, but to actually acting. When we see things going contrary to God's way, we don't just simply shrug and say, well, what can I do about it? We don't say that it doesn't affect us because we can't see it, because that's not going on in our community. It does affect us. Why does it affect us? Because it affects God and it breaks his heart and that should break our heart because it breaks his. It affects us because it affects him and he died for it. And so in this, this understanding that the best is yet to come, it comes with a gift. The gift of Jesus Christ is that as followers who know him, we get to feel everything. Now that may not sound like that great of a deal. You probably think there are some things I'd rather like to not experience and feel, right? Um, a few years ago, uh, I, I, I love uh, flying on airplanes that have in-flight entertainment because what that means is I have a lot of hours that I am, um, it's very uh, understandable for me to not be productive. And, um, and what's more is uh, my wife doesn't like watching, going to the movie theater and watching new movies. So usually what that means is I get to watch movies that she wouldn't want to watch with me. Um, and so it was a few years ago, I was on a late night flight coming across uh, the country, and uh, uh, the movie, um, there was a movie I really wanted to see for quite a while, and I knew Hannah wouldn't be interested, it was called First Man. Uh, it was a movie about Neil Armstrong, I don't know if any of you have seen this. Uh, and so I saw it on there, and I was really excited because I really wanted to see this movie, and, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get real comfortable and settle in, it's late night, and so, you know, late night movies are great, and, and that sort of thing, and so I, I, I turned it on, and that was a big mistake. Because the first like 10, 15 minutes of, the, of that movie are about how Neil Armstrong's daughter had cancer. And it's him sitting with her through cancer treatments. And her eventually passing away due to the cancer. 
and, uh, and it shows this little bracelet that she had made for him that had her name on it. And so it's like him looking at it and stuff, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to kill me. Because we, we had a new daughter, and so I just, like, the idea, now, like, now having kids, especially daughters, any movie that a kid dies, like, it, it just, like, tears me up. And so, like, I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, really struggling. I almost turned the movie off, because like, I don't know if I can handle this right now. And then I reminded myself what I'm constantly reminding my wife, and that is that I'm a man. And so I manned up, and I pushed through, and I kept watching the movie, and I got beyond the sad stuff. And so, like, we got through the movie, and it was, like, this awesome movie and everything like that. And I was doing great, and I'm like, I've got, I've got control of this and everything. Until at the end, when he's walking on the moon, they show him walking away, and there laying on the ground is the bracelet that his daughter made for her with her name. He took his daughter to the moon, and I lost it. I mean, I, I, when I say lost it, like, I'm, like, bawling, like, snot's forming, like, and, like, and I'm, like, trying to, like, hold it together, like, on the plane, you know, and, like, when you're trying to hold it together, like, it's not pretty, right, you know, and so, like, I'm convulsing like you do and everything like that. I, I'm, like, shaking so much. This is tearing me up so much. I'm shaking so much that I woke the guy up next to me, and I was like, oh, sorry, man, turbulence and stuff, and so, like, what are you going to do? So, like, I... I do not want to experience the pain of losing one of my children, especially the girls. That's not something I want to experience. And so it doesn't feel like a great deal for God to say, guess what? You get to feel everything. For some of us, we've gone through pain. We've gone through pain that we say, I wish I hadn't experienced that. And God, this is a crap deal that I've had to experience and feel this. But here's the deal. In a closed system, the only way to never feel the pain of loss is to never have had it in the first place. And for some of us, we're so feel, fearful of feeling the pain of loss, of losing the life that we love, of the people that we love, of the things that we love, that we will protect ourselves by distancing ourselves. I just won't feel. I won't get too close. I won't open up and be transparent. We'll maintain ourselves. For some of us, the, the fear of feeling that pain is so real that we will maintain ourselves by numbing ourselves. We tell ourselves, I don't care. That didn't mean that much to me. We ignore it. We just say it didn't happen. We move on with our life. We turn to drugs and alcohol, just whatever we can do to not feel this gut-wrenching pain. And I want to say the irony, but it's not, it's not even, irony is not a sad enough word. The tragedy in that is that the life we are so afraid to feel the loss of is taken before us before we even have it then. The relationships that we're so fearful are going to hurt us if we lose them, we just never have them to begin with. And somehow we feel like that's better. God knows that if you don't feel everything, then you eventually won't feel anything. 
And that is not a full life. That is not the life that he intended for you. Um, I'm going to try not to cry. A lot of people have asked me uh, over the last couple of weeks as I've talked to them about moving. I was going to make a joke about how the only reason I was moving was to get away from Justin now that he's staying. I'm, now that he's leaving, I'm staying. So, but um, it's partly true. Um, we're, too, we're too far gone now, so um, you're losing both of us. Um, no, um, I've had a lot of people ask me, so are you excited? And yeah, I'm excited, but I'm also really sad. I'm, I'm, I'm heartbrokenly sad. Um, I'm sad because I'm saying goodbye. I'm saying goodbye to a place that um, we love. Um, our kids have been born here. Um, but that doesn't even compare to saying goodbye to people that we love. Um, someone asked Hannah this last week. Um, how she was feeling. She was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I feel this way a little bit too. You know, it's like when you, I get to stop and think about it a little bit more than she does because, again, she's moving us um, because I'm going to Israel. And so um, I'm already there in my mind, so she's having to do everything at this point. And um, she, um, they said, you know, are you, you know are, how are you feeling? She goes, you know, I, I, I'm a bit numb at this point. There's just so much to do. I, I don't think I've been able to fully, like, we know we're sad. We know we're excited, but like we have like the full range of that emotion hasn't hit. And she told him, she was like, you know, I, I guess at some point it'll hit, you know, once we're there and like just the full weight of everything. And I thought, I, I told her, I said, I know exactly when that is going to be for me. The full weight of it all is going to hit for me uh, between 9.30 and 10 o'clock a.m. Central Time, because it's a different time zone, June 5th. And the reason it's so specific is because that's my, that will be my first Sunday at the new church. But new Sundays, new Sundays are actually you know, kind of a fun thing. Um, the reason it's that time, it's that 30-minute window, is because the thing about being at a church and, and, and preaching and everything is you have just a lot of stuff to think about. You have the message, and you, and you just say, you know, is coffee made, and all this different stuff and everything like that. And and, and, and so you have these things to occupy your mind and, and, to, and to be focused on. But it's there, that 30-minute window, when just like everything's done. Hopefully everything's done. And um, everything's done, and you don't have anything more to do than to just simply greet people and be with people and talk to people. And I know in that 30 minutes, my heart is going to be breaking because I'm going to wish for nothing more than to be back here with you all. I'm going to wish to be with people that I know, and I know their stories, and I've shared things with them, and we can just say hi to each other, and there can be a whole lot more to that than just simply hi, nice to see you. That I can ask them what's going on in their life, and they can ask me whether or not my house is sold yet, and all this different stuff. My heart is going to be torn because I'm going to be sad that I'm not here with you all. That's going to be really hard, and I'm going to feel that, and I know I'm going to feel that. I'm already feeling it, but I'm so glad that I'm going to feel that because the fact that I feel it that deeply means that it's mattered so much more. It it means that while we've been here, you all have been open with us, and we have been open with you, that you have shared deep personal things, and we have too. 
that you have loved me and my wife and our kids like we have been part of you for forever. That we've shared like wonderful, amazing things together. We've shared weddings and victories, salvations and baptisms. Now, we've shared some hard things together that we wouldn't ever want to walk through. I was at an anniversary dinner with my wife in Sisters, Oregon, when I got the text that Doug Hepler had passed away. And I looked at that phone, and I couldn't believe it, and I couldn't say anything. I just had to hand it to her, and I started bawling. And I wanted nothing more than to be here with them. I texted Eddie and said, stay away. Please stay away. No. He was like, I'm there. Don't worry about it. And Hannah comforted me. And and when I finally got it together enough, we prayed for them. And as soon as I got done praying, Hannah started bawling. So I sat there and I started comforting her. And then when she finally got together, I said like two things, and then we both started bawling. Our hearts were breaking. We weren't there with them physically, but Larry and Joan, our hearts were with you, and we prayed for you all. And we walked through that with you guys, and Debbie and Vicki and your kids. We shared that together. And our waitress thought we were getting a divorce because we were crying so much. We've shared a pandemic together. And I don't think we would want to share that again with anybody else, right? And because of that, I can say that I know for a fact that I'm going to look back and say that was one of the best 18 months of my life because I shared a pandemic with a small group that is the best small group I will ever be in in my life. And that when we couldn't meet with anybody else, we would stay at the Wilson's house until they were putting themselves in bed. Like, you guys got to get out. And we shared things and we helped each other through that time. And we didn't feel like we were alone because we were open and we were honest with each other. And so while how hard it is to feel everything of the loss that that is going to entail, I am so glad I'm going to feel it because it also means that I have enjoyed it and God has given it to me and he has brought life through it and it has been meaningful and it's not just meaningful for what it was in the past, it's meaningful for what it means going forward. It means that I'm going to have to take a sabbatical for three months every summer to come out here and see all the people I want to see. We get to feel everything See, it's tempting. It will be so tempting as I stand there on that first Sunday and I try to greet people I don't know. It will be tempting to not engage, to not go that deep, to to, to not get that close to them, to want to text you all. So that way, thinking somehow it's going to be less painful when God moves me on, when those relationships have to come to an end because all things come to an end. The thing is, is that it's not. It is not less painful to hold yourself at a distance, and to not open yourself up to everything that God has for you. It hurts to lose loved ones, but the answer isn't to have no one you care about. 
It hurts to keep living, but the answer isn't to cut yourself out of life and stop living. Because the best is yet to come. We can dive back in fully. Psalm 73, the psalmist is going through an intellectual crisis. I know this is going long, but bear with me. It's kind of my last sermon. (laughs) He is going through an intellectual crisis. And guess what? He feels everything and he admits what he's feeling. He says there in verses 2 and 3, he says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He doesn't like what's going on. It's hurtful to him. It's an affront to God. Most of us would say, hey, just ignore it. Just keep living. Just keep going. Don't feel. It hurts too much to feel. He says, I'm going to feel everything. Why? Because when I feel everything, it drives me back to the one who is the only one who can do something about it. The one who I'm promised that the best is yet to come in. He says in verses 16 and 17, he comes back to God. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I'm not enough. The way I see it isn't the right way. And so he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned therein. Feel everything in your life because it will bring you back to the sanctuary of God where we are promised that he is not done with us and our best days are not behind us. Feel the loss, feel the pain, and come running to God because that is where we have hope and that is where the psalmist ends. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God, knowing God doesn't dull our senses so that we can make it through this life to not see what is wrong. It actually puts our senses on blast because we have truly loved, because we have truly opened ourselves up, because we have given ourselves away. We are going to feel that. But guess what? God is doing great things. And by seeing what is wrong, we know better what is right and how to stand for justice and mercy and love. By recognizing what is ugly, we will begin to comprehend what is beautiful and appreciate it and love it and cultivate it all the more. Knowing that the best is yet to come in our lives allows us to dive fully into this life knowing that we will experience pain because of it, but we will also experience the full life and joy that God has for us. Do not hold back in your life because of what might be lost. Dive in because of what is to come. That's where Paul wraps this up. It says, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I wait so expectantly, eagerly, for the day in which we do not have to say goodbyes. For the day in which we do not have to get texts saying a loved one has passed away. But what God has done for us, he's told us, again, remember, your end is glory. You know the end of the story. It's like seeing a movie when you know the ending. And as long as a little girl doesn't pass away in it, 
You can enjoy it all the more because now you are free, knowing where it's going, to enjoy the subtle parts that you missed when you were trying to figure out where it was going the first time. You can take it all in. You can fully experience and give yourself to it. You can be excited for where it is going. And you can be excited for what you and everyone around you is going to get to experience. Just don't spoil it for them. My wife gets so mad at me because I say lines as they're coming up. And guess what? We can even be excited about and find joy in the difficult parts because we know where this is going and so we can be looking for the good things that God is doing in the midst of the hardship of our life, not simply wishing it away and hoping to get beyond it, but saying, I know the best is yet to come because of Jesus Christ and so I'm going to look for his best even in my worst times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the hope that you give us in Jesus is immense. I cannot, I can't even wrap my mind around it. As you try to explain, as you try to talk about what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, how you have broken into our world and what that means for us, Lord, the implications are extravagant. I think what it means for me is to not be selfish. To know that everything that I have, everything that I am, the relationships in my life, they are not mine, but they are yours. And they're to be used by you. And when, when you decide in your good and perfect will that that time, that beautiful season has come to an end, I should not be selfish to think I know best. But I should simply trust, Lord, it's not so much that you're taking us somewhere better all the time, but in you our final reward is glory. And we are working towards that and we are being moved towards that. And so trusting in you that your ways are best and stepping in your steps is the only way to live. Father, would you help all of us in our lives with the pain that we are suffering, with what we are feeling, with the loss that grips us so deeply? Would we come back? Would we feel it so that we come back to you? And Lord, during this time, this time of communion that Ed's going to lead us through, would it be a time that we come back to you trusting that because of the blood and body of Jesus Christ, our best days are in front of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.